This episode brought to you by Alert Communications. If any law firm is looking for call, intake, or retainer services available 24-7, 365, just call 866-827-5568. Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. Welcome. I'm your host, Lyle Moran. My guest today is Sherry Cushman, a vice chairman at Cushman & Wakefield. She leads the commercial real estate giant's global legal sector advisory group, has worked with law firms for more than three decades. Sherry helps clients develop business and real estate strategies to achieve their financial and operational goals. She and Cushman have also closely tracked how COVID-19 has impacted the legal industry's approach to real estate, a topic that will be the primary focus of our conversation. Sherry, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Lyle. Sherry, could you start out sharing how you got into helping law firms with their real estate needs? Sure, I'd be happy to. My background actually is in architecture, and I moved to Washington, D.C. in 1985 and designed law firms for eight years. And then I made a transition to the brokerage side. So my beginnings were all about understanding how law firms operated, how people worked within the law firms, what client demands are. And by converting it over to the brokerage side, I, I then added the business, real estate, and transaction component which I think combined really helped my career quite a bit. Great. And so obviously you've been working with law firms now for many years. In the years leading up to COVID, how had you seen firms' approach to real estate change? Well, Lyle, back in 85, law firms had real estate that was not driven at all by costs, efficiencies, technology. Back in those days, I like to call them the go-go 80s, It was all about location, views, highest floor in the building, and having very opulent, ostentatious space. Uh, The perception was if you could afford big rent and have beautiful space, you must be good attorneys. As the years passed, that changed dramatically. And as we sat pre-COVID, we were already seeing massive transitions in the legal sector already primarily due to technology being such a big disruptor in the legal sector for the last decade. And it was really transforming the way people worked, the way clients were expecting their lawyers to service their accounts and securitization. So all of a sudden, about a decade ago, the law firm real estate started to be looked at very, very differently. It was not about bricks and mortar anymore. It was about how that real estate needed to service all the components of the business, financial, and operational arenas. So there was just a drastic shift. The other area, too, of change was as it relates to per-attorney square feet ratios. 30 years ago, it was not unusual for a per-attorney ratio to be north of 1,200, 1,300, 1,400 square feet per attorney. Pre-COVID, our target ratios were under 600 square feet per attorney. And as we go through this dialogue, I'll be able to share with you a little bit more about post-COVID or mid-COVID anticipation of where those ratios are going to continue to drive down. Right. And, you know, pre-COVID, how did the um, per attorney, you know, square feet figures, how did those compare to other industries? 
The legal sector has always occupied on a per employee basis, which is really the metrics that other industries, corporate America, banking, finance, tech, really use. And that ratio was three to four times most other business ratios. So when you look at the tech industry that hovers somewhere, give or take around 100 square feet per attorney, you look at insurance, banking, excuse me, per employee, when you're looking at banking, insurance, they're hovering at about 150 square feet per attorney. The legal sector was three to 400 square feet per employee. So when you're looking at the multiples, it's two to three times on a per employee basis what other industries were doing. And quite frankly, that was really beginning to influence the legal sector because their, the, their clients were saying, hey, listen, we operate this way. Why do you need to operate with such luxurious space? So that definitely started to have an influence in the last decade as well. Interesting. And you know, what was the law firm's answers you know, for why they did have so much space compared to these other industries? Well, again, I think it was more of a, they thought their clients would perceive them as being great lawyers if they were in more opulent space. I also think that there's a fundamental difference between a law firm and corporate America. I always joke that law firms are more fraternity-esque and more democratic. They are owned by the lawyers and the lawyers liked their big opulent offices. They liked having their own furniture and big partners' desks and you know, just a lot of space. And what was happening in other areas were people, real estate directors, CFOs, chairman of firms, really looking at how do my people need to operate? And, and they were staying way ahead of the game and really transforming their workplace as the world was transforming and as technology was expanding. So it wasn't any other issue than everybody else continued to move forward but the, le- the legal sector really acted in a snail's pace way. And when you look at when someone becomes a partner, you know, they'll spend eight to 10 years to achieve that golden ring. Then for 30, 40 years, they want to enjoy the benefits of what they worked hard for. And for many years, the, their private office was a sign of their own success. Now, I'm a perfect example working at Cushman and Wakefield, whereas our company has transitioned to less than 165 square feet per employee in any of our offices. I went from a big opulent office on K Street nine years ago to now I don't even have an office anymore. Mm, I'm 100% virtual. And when I go to the office, they have touchdown space for me or a conference room for me. But because I travel so much, they've basically applied the rule of thumb that will give you a spot, but it's not going to be a permanent spot. And that's absolutely the direction that the legal section is going, legal sector is going to now. When you look at the consulting arena where it was when the big eight days, now we're down to the four, they all have a ratio of five to one, which basically means that for every five employees, they have one seat. In the legal sector, it's still one for one. And in some cases with lawyers, even two for one. So if a partner straddles between New York and Philly, he or she may have an office in both locations. Those days are gone. We will not ever see that happen again. So let's fast forward now to COVID and mm-hmm. it, you know how it began to spread actively in the U.S. earlier this year. You know What were some early real estate challenges law firms had to grapple with? Good question, Lyle. Every Monday afternoon, I host 
a call with our, our top 100 plus legal sector brokers from around North America and around the globe. And when COVID first hit, what we were hearing really for the first four, five, six weeks was an instant, let's go look at our leases. Do we have lease clauses that will allow us to stop paying rent? And unfortunately, no one ever anticipated a situation like a global pandemic as COVID-19. What everybody found is you got to you got to pay your rent. So that quickly transitioned to, okay, now we're all working from home. Very different. This is very uncomfortable. Lawyers fundamentally don't like change. That's what is one of the characteristics that make them a good lawyer. And so there was a lot of discomfort. There was a lot of adjustment. There was a lot of people saying, you know, I could never work this way. My productivity is down. My internet doesn't work properly. And uh, that lasted for about another four to six weeks. Magically, we hit week 13. And all of a sudden, the feedback that we were getting from our clients all around the globe was a feedback that the lawyers actually were adapting and that they were more comfortable with it. And that after maybe some IT training and technology training, and they found that they could actually do it and they weren't so fearful of it, that they felt a comfort level. And in fact, in many cases, people that had one, two, three hour commutes every single day or were in a position that most of their work anyway was more focused laptop, you know, computer work, everybody started to really feel a lot better about it. And I can see myself doing this. And in fact, in some cases, we heard that legal assistants were tickled pink because they felt more valued working remotely than they were when they were sitting at their their workstation at the office because now attorneys realize just how hard they worked and how much value they brought. So we began to see a fundamental transition. Then we hit about week 2022 and we started hearing a lot of firms evaluating operations, staff, back office, As we all know, the first and second quarter brought a tremendous number of layoffs and furloughs. According to our most recent poll, it's anticipated that 15 to up to 30 plus percent of staff that have been laid off will never come back. And firms now are looking even more deeply at additional people that they're going to say, do you really need to come back to the office? Mostly back office, people in marketing, accounting, that type of thing. Where when you look at the real estate spend, um, which is the number two expense on a ranking of top three, salaries being number one, real estate being number two, technology being number three, and it's been this way for decades and decades, we are anticipating that this fundamental shift and comfort level with remote working, and we don't think lawyers will go 100% remote, some will. But we absolutely think that there's going to be anywhere from 10 to 20, even 30% of lawyers that will say, I really only want to come into the office one day a week at most. All these different things are going to begin to force law firms to evaluate just how much space they really need. And again, according to our most recent survey, the, the average of what firms, if they could snap their fingers and give up space today would be somewhere in the 20 to 25% range. Some firms set up to 50%. When you add all these things together, fewer staff, 
more and more lawyers and staff working from home, whether it's full-time, part-time, or something in between. And then you look at technology and the millennials in 2025 basically taking over more than 50% of the U.S. prime workforce. You all of a sudden are seeing that the need for the office space, as much office space, is going to be less and less. But the need for the right kind of office space is going to be more important than ever. So we actually think that post-COVID target ratios will be somewhere in the 400 square feet per attorney or less, but there will be workplace strategies like hoteling, more virtual officing. So that physical presence that is left, that is going to be recreated, is going to be all about when people come to the office, intense collaboration. So hypothetically, you're an associate that typically is there five days a week, 10, 11, 12 hours a day, you might be there 60 hours a week, but you may only have 10 hours of true collaboration, an hour here, two hours there, and mentorship. The goal here would be that when you do come to the office, you're getting all of it action-packed right then, right there. And then you might go back to your house or your condo and crank out your work the rest of the week. So Sherry, on the leasing front, it sounds like we'll see a number of potential early lease restructures and space givebacks in the next few years. Absolutely. We're already seeing it. There are law firms and major markets across the United States that have already put a lot of sublet space just to stop the bleeding. Hopefully, this space will be picked up. As you probably know, New York City is the largest market for the legal sector. Washington, D.C. is right behind it. San Francisco has a huge occupancy in the legal sector. And what's happening is that not only are law firms putting space on the market, but everyone else is. So vacancy rates are rising, which is going to ultimately drive down rental rates, increase concessions. So what is that going to trigger? A lot of early restructures. The deals that have been done across the United States since COVID has happened, 100% of them, if they went through, have had some component of reduction anywhere from 10% to as much as 50%. So we think this is going to trigger, particularly in markets where landlords are afraid to lose their tenants, and they'd rather do an early restructure, even if they have four, five, six years left on their lease, and say, I'll take back a floor or two floors, whatever percentage that might be, say in a year or two, but I want to keep the rest of you for now 10 or 12 years total. So there's got to be a trade-off. Landlords aren't just going to willfully take back space with nothing to gain back. They're going to want to have some type of value, which the value is always extended term. So yes, we anticipate that's going to be very heated, but also during COVID, Lyle, what we've seen a lot happen is transactions that were, say, 10-year renewals were quickly taken down to a year or two to buy time to figure this out. And relocations that were pending leases to be signed were very quickly terminated, and a one- or two-year extension was, was made on, on their existing leases to, again, buy time. Interesting. Well, we'll be back after a short break. As the largest legal-only call center in the U.S., Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7, 365 as an extension of your firm in both English and Spanish. 
Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866-827-5568 or visit alertcommunications.com LTN. Welcome back to my conversation with Sherry Cushman of Cushman and Wakefield. Sherry, you know, we discussed some earlier, you know, the impact of COVID so far on law firms and how they handle real estate. You know, has there been a difference in how this has impacted larger firms versus small to mid-sized firms? Yes and no. The the no component is whether you're a 10-person firm or a 2,000-person firm, nobody really knows exactly what to do right now. Everybody is in a you know, let's sit and watch, let's survey our people, let's see what everybody else does. I think there's, there is a degree of hesitation, a little bit of confusion. Nobody wants to make a wrong decision. Some of the AM100, and I'll call, you know, the top 25 big law firms, some of them have stopped all real estate transactions other than those under construction to figure it all out. So they're basically buying time to and deferring these decisions. That all said, the exciting part about what I'm hearing, and I just got off a big global call two hours ago, is that this has been almost a forced, not willful, but forced shift in an industry that needed a correction. And people now are are looking at things that they intuitively knew they had to look at from succession planning to technology, recruitment and retention, getting the best talent, looking at the short and long-term effects this is having on client demands, the increased number of lawyers that are leaving law firms to go in-house, even in law schools nowadays, for adding classes to have to teach law students how to go straight into in-house counsel positions and not even go the law firm route. There's all these dynamics and shifts that, like it or not, law firms have to stick, get their head out of the sand and wake up to this new world. There will be hesitancy. There will be some firms that will say, we just can't do this, and they can't get out of their own way. It will be very interesting to see 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, how many of those firms make it? Now, the exciting part, which is, is more, in my opinion, for the, the small to mid-sized firms, is I've always used the analogy that the big firms are like big tanker ships cruising through the ocean. And if the captain decides that he wants to turn the ship around, it doesn't happen quickly. It's multiple people, multiple actions. And in 20, 30 minutes, the ship has turned around. In the small to mid-sized firms, I like to compare them to jet skis, where you're cruising out you know, in the ocean and you all of a sudden want to make a turn on a jet ski, it takes you a nanosecond to do it. So there's a lot of excitement, particularly with firms that tend to have younger attorneys or are more have practice groups like IP, M&As, you know, things that are a little bit more trend-setting and out there that are really excited about this. And they're looking at, at COVID and the economy and everything that's happening right now as an opportunity to reinvent themselves. Where consensus previously with attorneys might've been like pulling teeth. It's now, hey, everybody, 
we've got to get on this bandwagon. And this is an exciting opportunity for us to reinvent who we are to our clients, who we are to the outside world and to our inside people. So I actually am more of the belief that firms are excited about this. They're still a little fearful and they're unsure, but they're excited about how far they can take this and how far they can push the envelope. Well, in your view, Sherry, what will the law firm office of the future look like? Well, as mentioned before, I think now more than ever, the office space has to be a tool to make up for all the concerns about what happens if people don't come in, our culture, our succession planning. How do we know who should be the next partner? How do we interact and share best practices and all of our knowledge? So the key is going to be to this future office is to create an environment where when people do come in, they are literally getting this intense, interactive, cultural, educational experience where they feel like they are part of something. And it doesn't mean you have to come in five days a week to do that. So it's going to be a leadership issue. They've got to lead by example. It's got to be a lot of very careful planning. So hypothetically, I was talking to a partner earlier. She said she has more one-on-one calls with her, her, her practice team than she's ever had because now she has to. And those one-on-one calls, whether they're um, you know Zoom or calls or whatever, she said, we're sharing more information. It's also my check-in to see how their health and welfare is doing. And then three mornings a week, each practice group has their own 30-minute catch-up call where they never had that before. So this is really forcing people to, in some ways, even though it may not physically be live, communicate better, plan better, and make sure that they're having these meetings and they don't get bogged down with deadlines. Oh, I can't make it. Half the people didn't show up. People are showing up because they value these things. So I actually think that combined with better organization, better mentorship, better planning, and having the right workplace, which is going to be that more flexible space where it can adapt with each and every year on how things are changing. So ideas like instead of having fixed walls everywhere, what about you build out the shell and the shell's got fantastic mechanical, electrical, all the HVAC. It's got fantastic technology and lighting, but the walls are constantly moving. There may not even be fixed office walls for attorneys anymore. There may be spaces that have walls for touchdown spaces, but they're not going to be necessarily assigned and they're not going to necessarily be permanent. We're also going to see a whole rethinking of conference centers. They're not going to be fixed with 22 seats that can only be 22 seats. They're going to be adaptable to all different sizes. And we're going to see more and more meetings take place where you're going to have a combination of live people and people that aren't live. So technology and video conferencing and all of the the technology that is going to continue to expand is going to be more and more imperative for this space to be flexible and constantly evolving with the legal sector shifts that no doubt are going to continue to shift. 
And, you know, some of these changes you've described, obviously, I think will take a little time to, you know, be implemented. You know, in the shorter term, how quickly have law firms returned to their offices or had some employees return, you know, compared to other industries? Well, unfortunately, Lyle, the legal sector either is or darn close to the slowest returning sector in the globe. A lot of firms are not announcing publicly like corporate America has that they're not coming back till January or next July or whatever it is. But a lot of firms quietly have made those recommendations. And if you do want to come in, there's very specific uh, protocol that must be followed that you have to have an invitation and approval. Uh, Right now on a national basis, we're seeing the return rate, regardless of if the local market allows up to say 50% now, which not all cities are even at that point yet, is only at 8 to 10%. Why do you think firms are lagging behind other industries in this regard? Well, I think it's a variety of reasons. Um, I think one, as mentioned, people are getting a lot more comfortable with working from home. But in major markets, vertical markets, San Francisco, New York City, Washington, well, Washington is not a vertical market, uh, Chicago, where People have to, A, take public transportation. The top three reasons people aren't returning is is fundamental health concerns. We do believe that if a vaccine is found and fully distributed and everybody had it and proven to be negative, that we would be talking a different game right now. But that is not in anywhere near the foreseeable next three months, that's for sure. So then you've got vertical market issues too. So once people have to take public transportation, which they don't want to do, they then have to get up into their building. So you're in New York City and on, you're on the 65th floor of a building. You may be standing in line for an hour waiting in your lobby. You get onto an elevator that normally holds 20, only take two people up. And then, by the way, your office does not have food, water, coffee. You have limitations on how and where you can travel. They want you to stay in your office and do your work. So the whole reason people come to work is to interact with people. What's happened is a lot of law firms are opening, but someone may come in and say, well, that was a waste of time to come in because nobody's here. So they're not coming back as quickly. And that's true with a lot of industries. This isn't just the legal sector. The other factor, which is still in flux, kids going back to school, a lot of kids are still remote working from school and, or from home, excuse me, and or partially. You know, they might have one kid going in Tuesdays and Thursdays and another kid going in Mondays and Wednesdays and them all working remotely on Fridays. You can't, as a parent, be committing to commuting into New York City when your kid still has a schedule like that. So the three number issues for not returning at this point in time are fundamental health concerns, public transportation, and and particularly vertical markets, and uh, kids not really being fully back in school yet. Now, Sherry, you've talked about how this period has led to, you know, law firms rethinking real estate in ways that maybe, um, you know, something they should have in years prior. How confident are you that firms won't revert back to old thinking, you know, once things stabilize with COVID-19? I think the minority and and one of our, our live WebExes that we just did two weeks ago, we asked post-COVID, does your firm anticipate the workplace changing moving forward? Only 7%, and we had big, large, 900 some odd firms participate, uh, only 7% said they don't plan to do a thing. 
69% said that they plan on making modifications. Now, we can't pinpoint what they are, whether they just are going to implement hoteling, whether they're going to allow more flexible work schedules and remote working. But 24% of the respondents said that they plan to make drastic changes in their real estate and their workplace. So if you are competing, just call it the top 100 firms. If you're competing and you know that potentially 25% of the top 100 firms are going to make drastic changes, how do you think that that is going to affect the number one issue for firms in business competition, which is recruitment and retention? Young people fundamentally want work-life balance and flexibility. They are the future of the legal sector. So for decision makers that might be non-millennials, people like me, baby boomers and up, do not accept the fact that the future isn't about us. It's about our clients. It's about our younger generation. It's about the war on talent and capturing the best and greatest talent. And that talent is not going to want to go to an old stodgy firm. That talent is going to maybe select one firm over another based upon the technology, based upon the work flexibility, based upon the commitment to deeper mentorship and collaboration. So it's a different ball game. You know, when if I had gone to law school, I would have walked out of law school and I would have shut my mouth for nine years and paid my dues until I got that golden ring. Young kids nowadays aren't that way. They're vocal. They will make their own business decisions and their own career decisions. So I don't think anyone has a choice. And client demands are demanding it. They're demanding better diversity. They're demanding better IT security. They're demanding lower fees. Fee compression has been the number one issue for firms for so long. For any firm out there to sit there and ignore and say, we're just going back to the old way, truly, (laughs) I wish them luck. (laughs) I think that the savvy firms and the progressive firms are going to grab the bull by the horns, look at every aspect of their operations and their real estate, and use this to reinvent. But Lyle, I will say one thing. Cash preservation is key. COVID could not have happened at a worse time for the legal sector. The legal sector gathers all their money by year end, and then they distribute it first quarter, and then they build up that coffer again. Very few firms keep a lot of capital. The big law firms do, but very, very few firms have capital. And all of this new workplace requires capital. So it is going to be a balancing act for spending capital to reinvent while they may reduce their real estate square footage by 30, 40% that will create a break-even point for whatever capital they spend up front in probably two to three years. It's a generational issue. It's a profit issue. So it's going to be a balancing act of when we can do it, how much it will cost to do it, and do we want to go, go borrow money to do it? Now, there's some markets like Washington, D.C., which is the only market in the, in the U.S. right now that has such huge concession pack, pack, packages of free rent and tenant improvements that we have been doing law firm deals with zero out-of-pocket capital. So there, some of this will be market-driven by how landlords are going to help offset these out-of-pocket capital costs. So there's a lot of variables here, and every firm's going to need to balance when and how they're going to change their workplace. Hmm. That sounds like a lot of variables indeed. There are. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. 
My pleasure, Lyle. Thank you for having me and, and everybody out there. I know this is a, these are crazy times, but I'm confident that this is going to be a wonderful thing for the sector as a whole and excited to be a part of it. Thanks again. I also wanted to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please be sure to rate and review the Legal Rebels podcast on your favorite podcast listening service. I'm your host, Lyle Moran, signing off. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.